Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 5. I commence reading from verse 1. Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I was stood between the Lord and you at that time, to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Verse 12. <clears throat> Observe the Sabbath to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant, or your female servant, or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your male female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand, and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother, as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, and you shall not steal, and you should not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you should not covet your neighbor's wife. And you should not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness with a loud voice, and he added no more. 
And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness. And we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day, we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh and has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of fire as we have and still lived? Verse 27. Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say, and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you, and you will hear and do it, and we will hear and do it. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I've heard the words of these people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they have such a mind as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Go and say to them, return to your tents. But you stand here by me and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them that they may do them in the land that I'm giving them to possess. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land you shall possess. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and all his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long, Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house 
and on your gates. Let's turn to the New Testament, to John chapter 1, verse 14 to 18. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as one of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Speak, O Lord, as we open your word this morning. Father, please speak to us uh, today. Please uh, teach us about you. Please help us to love you. Please lead us into full obedience. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. How is your relationship with God going? How is your relationship with God going? Uh, it's a question you might be asked when meeting up with a brother or sister in Christ. And if I'm honest, I've always found this question a little bit difficult to answer. It's a lot easier to answer a question like, how's your relationship with your friends going? With your housemate? With your parents? With your husband? With your wife? With your children? You can quantify the relationship in terms of time spent together, or how well you're communicating, or how deep your conversations have gotten, or how emotionally connected you feel. But how do you quantify a relationship with God? It's not like you can count how many coffee or dinner catch-ups you've shared, how many late-night DNM sessions you've had. Our relationship with God is one of those things we know is something we consider precious and important to invest in, but sometimes we can get a bit stuck with how to nurture it or evaluate how it's going. And that might be because we try to think of it as any other relationship. You know, we're relational people. We know how to relate to one another. But how do we relate to the infinite God of the universe? Well, our passage from Deuteronomy this morning will give us insight into what our relationship with God as Christians is like. And once we get a clearer understanding of this relationship, this will help us to reflect on and evaluate how our relationship with God is going and what we can be doing to nurture and to grow this relationship. And so, if you've got a Bible there, uh, please keep your Bibles open at Deuteronomy chapter 5, um, or if you have a phone, have that tab ready to go. Uh, and you'll remember from uh, last week when Steve preached the first sermon in Deuteronomy that what we have recorded for us in Deuteronomy is a series of three sermons given by Moses to God's chosen people as they are about to enter their promised land. Uh, so, three sermons. We looked at the first sermon last week, 
Uh, Moses is addressing the second generation of people, of the people whom God rescued from slavery in Egypt. Uh, the first generation, as we heard last week, they rebelled, and that's why an 11-day journey to the promised land has taken 40 years. And now the second generation are standing at the precipice of this promised land. And in this first sermon, Moses recounts their recent history, and he does so uh, as a way of teaching them that God is legit. God can and will do what he has promised. There is no other God to follow or to worship. And in chapter 5, Moses begins his second sermon. And we can tell that because in verse 1 it says, And Moses summoned all of Israel and said. That's the kind of the marker that uh, signals to us that this second sermon has started. And this second sermon goes all the way from chapter 5 all the way to chapter 28. It's by far the longest of the three sermons. And essentially what is at the heart of this second sermon is God's relationship with His people. Now, uh, this second sermon is structured a little bit like a news article. Have you ever noticed how journalists write news articles? They start with the most important information first as a way of quickly breaking the news and uh, giving you enough information to entice you to continue to read. And then in the next paragraph, they give you kind of the big picture view of uh, whatever the news event or thing that they're reporting on. And then as you go on, they go into more and more finer details. And Moses' second sermon is structured a little bit like a news article. There's a key idea, big picture, and finer details. Chapters 5 to 6 are the key idea of God's relationship with His people. And that's what we'll be looking at this week. Chapters 7 to 11 are the big picture of this relationship, and we'll be looking at those chapters over the next two weeks. And then in chapters 12 to 28 are the finer details of this relationship, Uh, and we'll spend four weeks looking at those chapters. And just to give you a bit of a taste of what's to come after that, Moses' third sermon is the big so what sermon. And as with all good final sermons on Christian camps or media conferences, the final sermon for Deuteronomy is the big call to action moment, the big decision moment. And so that's, that's a bit of a preview of Deuteronomy. And as Steve mentioned last week, it will be very helpful for you to give the passages a read before you come here on Sunday so that you can get the most out of our time in God's Word. And hopefully this structure uh, can help give you some guidance and context to your reading as you do that pre-reading. And so with that in mind, let's take a look at Deuteronomy chapters 5 to 6. And the opening verses tell us that this sermon is going to be about God's relationship with His people. And the key idea is that this relationship takes the form of a covenant takes the form of a covenant. Have a look at the opening verses of chapter 5. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, 
but with us, who are all of us here alive today. See, Moses opens his sermon with a reminder of the covenant with the Lord, that the Lord God made with his people Israel. Now, covenant's a little bit of, a, of an older word. We don't use the word covenant often these days. Uh, so some of you may not be very familiar with the concept. But essentially, a covenant is a relationship between two or more parties, uh, and it involves promises. Now, marriage is an example of a covenant relationship. Uh, and in particular, a Christian marriage is a relationship between a husband and a wife to the exclusion of all others, and it involves making vows or promises to commit to the other for life, no matter the situation or circumstance, to have and to hold, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, as long as they both shall live. It is a relationship between two parties, and it involves promises. So, what was this covenant that God made with His people Israel? Well, if we turn back to our Bibles, uh, to Exodus chapter 19, we can read all about what happened when God gave His covenant uh, to His people Israel. You see, three months after Israel had gone out from the land of Egypt, they found themselves at the foot of Mount Sinai, which is another name for Horeb. And Moses climbs the mountain to speak with God. And this is what uh, the Lord God says to Moses. He says, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So what do we learn about uh, this covenant between God and the people of Israel? Well, this covenant is a relationship between two parties, God and the redeemed people of Israel. And this covenant involves promises. God promises to take Israel to be his treasured possession, to be his chosen people. And the people of Israel are to obey his voice and keep his covenant. Now, fast forward a generation later to Deuteronomy chapter 5, and Moses begins his sermon by applying this covenant relationship to the new generation of Israel. So you notice what Moses says in verse 3 about the parties of this covenant relationship. God didn't just make this covenant with their fathers, the, that previous generation that were rescued from Egypt, but also with the next generation of Israel who are gathered at that moment to hear Moses speak. Now, normally a covenant ends when one party passes away, kind of like a marriage, you know, till death do us part, as long as we both shall live. But Moses is saying that God's covenant continues to the next generation. And this is because when God made his covenant back on Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, he did so not just with those physically present, 
but with the entire people of Israel, past, present, future. And that's why this covenant continues, even though the previous generation has passed away. And that's why Moses tells the generation listening to this sermon that God has made this covenant with them. What this means is is that they are just as much in covenant relationship with God as with the generation that were present at Mount Horeb. And because they are in this same covenant relationship with God, they are to uphold the same covenant promises, those promises to obey God's voice and to keep His covenant. And so, having applied the covenant to the present generation, Moses continues by repeating to them the words of God's covenant, which are to shape their relationship. And we can see these covenant words in verses 6 to 21, uh, which are more popularly known as the Ten Commandments. You can see that summarized in that table there. Now, the Ten Commandments can be a little bit unhelpful, I think. Uh, because it can, make, uh, it can make it feel like keeping God's covenant is just about obeying a set of rules. Uh, and it's true that the commandments are presented as a set of rules to follow. You know, you shall do this, you shall not do that. But if you take a step back and you look carefully, you can notice that these you shalls and you shall nots are meant to reflect a deeper reality. You see, underlying all of these Ten Commandments is God's grace. Uh, We read that in verse 6. God, before He says any of these commandments, says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And this preamble makes it clear that these commandments are given to reflect the fact that God has already graciously redeemed His people. This means that the commandments are not requirements for salvation, but rather the expected behavior of those who are already saved and therefore already in relationship with God. And then once you kind of understand that, uh, grapple with that in the preamble, and you move on to the commandments themselves, and you kind of see that they're kind of categorized into two different categories. The first category is what it looks like for the people of Israel to relate to God. And then secondly, what it looks like for the people of Israel to relate to each other. Do you you see that? Because you see, at the heart of the commandments is not rule-keeping, but relationship. These commandments are the covenant word which God gives to communicate to His covenant people about how they are to relate to Him and to each other. And the idea is that obeying these commandments is not what establishes or entitles someone to have a relationship with God. Rather, obeying these commandments is what is expected of someone if they are already in covenant relationship with God. This is what covenant relationship looks like. And so far, Moses has spoken about how the relationship God has established with His redeemed people takes the form of a covenant. God promises to take the redeemed people of Israel as his own treasured possession. And he communicates to his people what he expects this relationship to look like through his covenant word 
as expressed in the Ten Commandments. Now Moses then moves on to how the redeemed people of God ought to respond in relationship to God. And, and from what we've already read uh, through looking at the Ten Commandments, we can tell that, uh, we already tell that they, what they're meant to do is that they're meant to obey God's covenant word. But as has already been hinted in the commandments, and as Moses will flesh out further in chapter 6, obedience is only one aspect of their covenant relationship with God. See, before God's people jump to obedience, they first need to hear God and then love God. Before God's people jump to obedience, they need to first hear God and then love God. Have a look at what Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This short sentence summarizes two very significant truths about God. First, that the Lord God is the one only true God. There are no other gods apart from Him. And second, that this one true God speaks. He relates to his people not through images or statues or creatures like these other so-called gods. He relates to his people by initiating and maintaining covenant relationship through his word. This God speaks. And so, God's people are firstly to hear his words, to recognize that God is not like any other God because He speaks. And to acknowledge that God has initiated relationship through His covenant word. And upon hearing God speak, God's people will know who He is, what He has done to redeem them, and how He desires to relate to them. And so the appropriate response to hearing God's word is what Moses says In verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. In other words, God's people are to love him with undivided commitment and total devotion, knowing that he is the only God and that he is the one who graciously redeemed them. You see, covenant relationship with God is not a loveless relationship. The very foundation of the relationship is love. Love motivated God to redeem the people of Israel from slavery. Love motivated God to initiate a covenant with His people. And so what God desires of His people in response to His grace is love. And if we look back at that covenant word that God speaks through the Ten Commandments, we can see that at the heart of how God's people are to relate to God and to each other is love. To love God is to have no other gods, to refrain from corrupting God visually or verbally, to remember God's redemptive grace, to honor your parents. To love neighbor is to not murder them, to not commit adultery with them, 
not steal from them, not lie to them, not covet their stuff. And so God's covenant word can be summarized into two great commandments. Love God and love neighbor. Which means that obeying God's covenant word by keeping these commandments is the same as loving God and loving neighbor. Do you see that? And here we've come full circle. What does relationship with God look like? It looks like loving God and loving neighbor. How does one love God? By hearing God's word and by obeying it. And so Moses emphasized from verse 6 onwards the need for God's people to lay these words onto their hearts, to let these words permeate every sphere and aspect of their lives, to teach these words to the next generation, all so that God's people, both present and future, might live in right covenant relationship with their God. As we round off this first section of Moses' second sermon in Deuteronomy, let's take stock of what we've heard. Moses kicks off his sermon with this key idea. God's relationship with the people of Israel takes the form of a covenant. God establishes this covenant in love with the people he redeems by speaking his covenant word. He initiates this covenant with a promise to take his redeemed people as his own. And in return, he desires their love and their obedience. And his redeemed hear God and respond in love for him and for their neighbor by obeying his covenant word. But as we we take a step back and as we reflect that we are sitting here today, how do these words of Moses speak to us? How do these words, words of Moses speak to us here today? Are we to put ourselves in the place of this second generation of redeemed Israelites? Is this what our relationship with God is like too? Now, on the the one hand, we can't simply hear these words of Deuteronomy and go and do likewise. Because we are a very different people living in a very different time in a very different place. And sometimes uh, it can be unhelpful, even dangerous, to just simply read what the Bible says and then assume it applies to us as 21st century Christians living in Brisbane, Australia. But on the other hand, if we hear these words of Deuteronomy through the lens of the gospel of Jesus, we can see that our relationship with God follows the exact same pattern as what Moses preaches in Deuteronomy. You see... The relationship Christians have with God today also takes the form of a covenant. See, in Jesus, God establishes a new covenant with his people. And like with all of God's covenants throughout history, uh, this covenant of Moses, this Mosaic covenant, which you see in Deuteronomy chapter 5 to 6, ultimately foreshadows and points us towards this new covenant. Now, what is this new covenant? What does this new covenant achieve that Moses' covenant could not? Well, ultimately, um, we know that obedience to the law of Moses, uh, as Deuteronomy and other parts of the Bible would later be referred to as, obedience to the law of Moses was impossible to perfectly uphold. 
And uh, we know this to be true ourselves. All of us have failed. All of us are failing. All of us will fail to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, all of us have sinned against God. But the beauty of the new covenant is that God promises forgiveness of sins, forgiveness of our failures. He promises to write His law, His covenant word, on our hearts. And just like the Mosaic covenant, He promises to be our God and us, His people. And how does God initiate this new covenant? He sends His word to become flesh, to dwell among us, to love His people by giving up His own life, being obedient to death on the cross, to redeem His people from the slavery of sin. God initiates this new covenant by sending His final covenant word, Jesus Christ, to be grace upon grace, final grace upon the grace given in His covenant word through Moses. And how are the redeemed today included in this covenant relationship with God? By hearing Jesus, God's final covenant word, and by believing in his death and resurrection as the only way to forgiveness and redemption from our sins. And if you are a believer in Jesus, uh, and if, uh, if you are a believer in Jesus, you are in covenant relationship with God. And if that is you, then your relationship is characterized by love and obedience. Love for God through love for Jesus and obedience to him as God's final covenant word. See, reading Deuteronomy chapters 5 to 6 helps us to better understand what our relationship with God is like. It is established by God's word. It is grounded in our redemption through grace. It is shaped by the promises of God's covenant. It is expressed in love and obedience. And it is centered upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy 5-6 helps us to better understand our relationship with God. And these are all very good things to understand. You know, crucial to growing in our relationship with God is a better understanding of what that relationship looks like. But I think it would be a failure to read Deuteronomy chapters 5 and 6 and only come away with a better understanding. To treat this passage merely as a good reminder or an interesting thing that you've learned. Especially when we read in the words of Deuteronomy, God's call for his people to hear him, to love him, and to obey him. Rather, what this better understanding of our relationship with God ought, uh, what, our be- what this better understanding of our relationship with God, what it should do, is actually to help us answer our question from the beginning. How is your relationship with God going? Well, to put it in the words of Deuteronomy, how are you going at loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? with loving your neighbor as yourself. How are you going at obeying Jesus? 
And if we're honest with ourselves, all of us are going to have answers that involve varying degrees of failure. We've all failed to love uh, and obey Jesus in the last month, in the last week, even in the last 12 hours. But the reality for those who enjoy a new covenant relationship with God through Jesus is that these failures are being and have been dealt with by God. He has forgiven our sin and our failure through the blood of Jesus. And he has written his word on our hearts by his spirit so that we can obey. And so, brothers and sisters, even as we struggle in our relationship with God, we can be immensely thankful that we are in relationship with God and that we are in relationship with a God who reminds us through his word that he loves us and is gracious to us. And so, brothers and sisters, as you reflect on your relationship with God and how it's going, you might use it as an opportunity to repent of your failures. Repent at how you failed to love God, at how you failed to obey Jesus. But also use it as an opportunity for God to grow you through His Word. See, maybe the next time you listen to a sermon or read your Bible or join a Bible study, next time you sit on God's Word, instead of thinking about what you've learned or what you've been reminded of, perhaps you might find it helpful to ask yourself this question. How do these words, which God has spoken to me in Jesus, grow my love for Him and spur my obedience of Him? How do these words, which God has spoken to me in Jesus, grow my love for Him and spur my obedience of Him? Because when we sit under God's word, when we hear God speak to us in Jesus, shouldn't the truths we hear lead us to love God even more? To grow in our undivided commitment and total devotion to Him above all else? If all that happens when you read God's word is that you've grown in your knowledge of God and not in your love for God, then you're in a loveless relationship with God. And friends, that is not a great place to be. And so I'm actually going to give you some time now, as we've heard God's word, as we've heard it uh, explained, I'm going to give you some time now to reflect uh, from what you've heard from God this morning and to ask yourself this question. So what I'm going to do is actually, I'm going to put the discussion questions up early and I'm going to give you a few moments to reflect in the quietness of your own heart. Um, you know, think about these questions, reflect on these questions for yourself. I'm going to give uh, you guys a moment, and then I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing, and then uh, you'll have a chance to discuss these questions at the end of the service as well. So reflect in the quietness of your own heart. Heavenly Father, we praise you for including us into your new covenant, for adopting us as your children and making us heirs of eternal life. In your mercy, you have washed us from our sins and made us clean in your sight. Yet, we still fail to love you and serve you as we should. Father, forgive us our sins and renew us by your grace. 
that we may continue to grow in our love and obedience of Jesus, in whom alone is our salvation. Amen.